How you doing people? I'm Dave Rubin. It's the Rubin Report Direct Message. On December 9th, 2021, we are streaming live on Rumble, on YouTube, and on Blaze TV. Subscribe to our Rumble channel if you do nothing else. Click the button, get our videos. It's just that simple. I am in a good mood today. We are doing a live Q&A. We got a couple dozen questions from our friends over at rubinreport.locals. Com. I've been hinting that there's some big news coming. I believe we will announce a little something on Monday. And we got a whole bunch of questions and my team's feeling good today. And we had a lot of comments yesterday, a lot of comments saying it was our best show ever yesterday. Just the right blend of information, humor, cheekiness. It was all there. It was all there. So I feel, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Uh, so we're gonna get to the Q&A, but I wanna start off with some good news related to COVID because you know I like to frame things in a positive way for you. Biden's vaccine mandates are crumbling. You guys know earlier in the week, a federal judge blocked his vaccine mandate for federal workers. And then yesterday, the Senate voted 52 to 48, 52 to 48 to stop the mandates once again. We've got some info here from Reuters. The Democratic-controlled U.S. Senate on Wednesday approved a Republican measure that would overturn President Joe Biden's COVID-19 vaccine or test mandate for private businesses, with two Democrats joining Republicans to back the initiative. The 52 to 48 vote sends the legislation to the Democrat-led House of Representatives, where it faces strong headwinds while Biden has threatened to veto it. The legislation would overturn administration rules ordering businesses with 100 or more workers to require vaccinations or coronavirus testing for millions of employees. The measure was not subject to Senate rules that will require 60 of its 100 members to agree on most legislation, meaning it could pass with just a simple 51 vote simple majority. Two Senate Democrats, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and John Tester of Montana, joined 50 Republicans in voting for the bill. So this is really good sign. You know, one of the things that I talked about yesterday is that we're seeing the system kind of work right now. I know the system seems broken. I know it seems calcified. Nothing really operates as it should. The media so dishonestly frames things that it's hard to figure out what's going on at times. But we have three branches of government, right? Civics 101. Did you take social studies in seventh grade? They might've taught you about that. We have the executive branch, that's the president. He's supposed to sign things in, into laws. We have the legislative branch, that's the Congress and the Senate. They write the laws. And then we have the judicial branch. They make sure that the laws are legal. And these things have checks and balances to all make sure that the system's working, that no one person or one entity or one group gets too much power. It's all kind of a beautiful system that's worked really well for 250 years, which is of course why uh, so many people on the left wanna burn it down these days. Well, now we're seeing when the president just says, hey, I've got a pen and paper, or whoever's pulling his puppet strings so behind him and they get his arm going and they go into Joe signs the thing and he doesn't know what he's, I'll oh, just sign it, I don't know what I'm signing, which he does say sometimes when he's signing things. Um, well, now the system itself is pushing back. The system, the legislative branch is saying, no, 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 you can't do that. The judicial branch is saying, no, 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 you can't do that. And that is quite beautiful. Just a bit more on what happened a couple of days ago with the federal judge, and this is from The Hill. 
A federal judge in Georgia on Tuesday temporarily halted the Biden administration's COVID-19 vaccine mandate for federal contractors across the country. The ruling by U.S. District Judge R. Stan Baker, an appointee of former President Trump, is the latest in a series of legal setbacks for President Biden. The court acknowledges the tragic toll that the COVID-19 pandemic has wrought throughout the nation and the globe, Baker wrote in a 28-page ruling. However, even in times of crisis, this court must preserve the rule of law and ensure that the branches of government act within the bounds of their constitutionally granted authorities. Hallelujah! Baker, whose order blocks the mandate while the case plays out in court, said the challengers were likely to prevail on their claim that Biden exceeded his authority with the public health measure. Federal contractors were facing a January 18th deadline to be fully vaccinated. So this is good news, folks. And not only is it good news, it shows that we the people, a government for the people, by the people, that we the people are still the ones that have power, right? Because this is a judge who's acting as an individual saying, what are the laws we are to be governed by? I will make the appropriate, the correct decision in this case. The senators, the two senators specifically, who joined with the Republicans, who said, no, the president does not have the authority to do this. They acted as individuals to make sure that they could help us. That is what we the people is all about. Every time someone says, I will not comply with a edict that is unconstitutional or that forces me to do something against my conscience, that is when we win. That's what we the people means. We the people starts with us. They're not above us. They wanna believe they're above us, but they're below us. They work for us. And most of them should be sent out to pasture. So this is a good sign, a really good sign. I hope you're feeling good about it. I know I'm feeling good about it. And once again, I wanna say to you guys in this room, I will never force you to be injected with anything against your conscience. That's just the type of man I am. Uh, oh, by the way, somebody said something really funny. I was looking at the comments yesterday. Someone made a point about, uh, so I mentioned that Michael here bought a Tesla, okay? Yeah, we pay all right over here at the Rubin Report and the guy works hard. He's allowed to do with his money what he wants. Uh, and somebody made a point that AOC, who also has a Tesla, has been railing against student debt and complaining that she still has $17,000 worth of student debt. She makes $175,000 a year and she wants the government to wipe out her student debt. So when you look at those two things, a guy here who busts his ass, works hard, puts his money towards something he wants, not complaining about anything, no student debt, and he has no student debt, because he busts his ass and he's a good man, versus this entitled leftist loon who makes 175 grand to tell you how awful the system is, who wants you to pay for her college education where she did not learn that much. I thought that was a beautiful thing. And now let's do a little Q&A. Uh, Charlie says, as 2021 comes to a close, what, what uh, as 2021 comes to a close, what have been some personal and professional highlights for you? You know, this was obviously a weird year for everybody. It, it's particularly strange, I think, for me at some level because look, the show is cooking. You know, the things that I'm doing professionally, going on TV shows, uh, writing this next book. My team is growing. Like all the things that we're doing here, we had. You know, we just went through with our, uh, our YouTube guy yesterday, shout out to Chris, like going through our numbers, like all our numbers are the best they've been, like all of this, the work stuff, the stuff that I care about and think about, um, it's all working. 
And I think I've really obviously come a long way in my political evolution. I, I speak to you as freely as I possibly can and as openly and with as much candor as I possibly can. I think that's why you guys watch this show. That's why you tell people about the show. That's why on the rare occasion that I leave this house, um, people come up to me and, and say nice things um, because you know the trolls in real life, they don't even exist. They hide from you and they never leave their basements. Um, so it was a really rewarding year that, the, that you know, that's, that's actually kind of cool. I don't know how many people on earth can understand what that feeling is, like to be someone that like shares my thoughts. That's what I do, right? I share my thoughts for a living. And that's, that resonates with people and say, you know, you've helped me stay sane in this. Um, and I think about it a lot. It's like, man, there were a lot of people a couple of years ago that, um, that I really respected, that I thought were really making sense of the world. And I watched a lot of people go off the deep end and everyone's got their own selective pressures and their family things and work things and financial pressures and just the general state of lunacy and trying to make sense of the madness. Um, but I think if nothing else, like the things that I have said about COVID in the last two years are pretty freaking consistent. I think I've not lost my mind. Doesn't mean that I'm right about everything, but like I just tell you what I think and then I see where we're at. So I would say on a, on a work, uh, from a work perspective, things have been really good. Um, and I know that's, that's very precious. You know, I know a lot of people have struggled mightily throughout all of this. And uh, one of the things we've been discussing is what we can do in the Rubin Report community to help people a little bit more and figure out ways to make sure people have jobs and, and all that stuff. I would say on a personal note, um, you know, I don't want to get too ahead of myself right now, but uh, you know, I've been hinting for quite some time that David and I are working on expanding the family. Um, so there's some, some good stuff uh, cooking on that front. And um, life's good in that way. Like we've got good friends and life is, life is good. Life is good. And I think if you build something good and you keep your eye on the prize, like good things can happen. That's really what I believe. Thanks for asking. Uh, Aaron says, who got the best, who's got the best chance in 2024, in your opinion? Well, look, Biden obviously will not be running. I don't think he's going to make it to the four years. Let's keep in mind, the guy hasn't even been president for a year. And look at the uh, just systemic, I would say, in the right use of systemic, just the breakdown of his cognitive faculties. Um, he was at Bob Dole's funeral today, a video went out, and he's reading his speech. And, you know, he reads end of line or turn page. It's like, that thing ain't good. Um, his approval rating is terrible. Kamala's is even worse. I think the Republicans have a really interesting crop of people. Of course, that puts DeSantis at the top, but I think there's guys like Tim Scott. I think there's Nikki Haley. I think there's Dan Crenshaw. I think there's a whole bunch of people, and I get it. Maybe you don't like this person. You don't like that person. This guy did this, and she said that, and all those things. Of course, there's the orange man. Like All of these things are in play. To me, the best thing for the country, as I've said many times, would be that Ron DeSantis becomes the standard bearer of the Republican Party, of the conservative movement. Um, he knows how to fight. He believes in individual choice and freedom. He has balanced keeping the people of Florida safe along with individual responsibility. He kept the state open. Florida is freaking flourishing uh, while so much of the country is not. Uh, he's younger, I think he's 43. Uh, I mentioned about a month ago, I was at a, a dinner with him, actually sat next to him, had some one-on-one -on -one time, but also within a group atmosphere. He knows his stuff. He struck me as a decent, honest guy. Like, you know, he gave a talk before that for, I don't know, about 200 people all off the top of his head for about an hour, answered as many questions as he possibly could. I think there's a generational thing we have to get rid of, not get rid of, we have to sort of let some of the older politicians just get out of the way. The world is very different. 
Nancy Pelosi does not fully get the world. Younger people, the Gen X people that are supposed to be in the prime of our lives right now, say say between 36, something like that, 36 and you know late 50s, like while you still, your body's still working and your mind is still sharp and you understand the way the world's changing, you remember the old world, but you also remember how the internet came in and all of the stuff, it's like, we should be doing it right now. So I, so I think he should be the guy and what I would want of Donald Trump is to be the bodyguard, man. Put the ego aside if you can, and I know that will be tough, and be the guy that's in the media every day railing against the nonsense that they're gonna throw at DeSantis. Do the rallies, and it just doesn't have to be that every rally has a giant Trump flag. It could, it could just say freedom or America or MAGA or whatever, but that, that all of us, it's everyone versus the woke right now, and we can then hash out all the other differences. I'm a little more libertarian than say a, a traditional Christian conservative. But hey, we all wanna live in roughly the same country. Let's figure it out, man. So I think DeSantis is the way to go, which by the way, you know, a lot of people in Florida probably don't want that because they want that guy to stay there for as long as possible and keep that state, state strong. Um, but there are other people in Florida. You know, you got Francis Suarez, who's the incredible mayor of Miami. Maybe he could be governor. I mean, there's all sorts of interesting things that could play out. Uh, Amy says, if you could go back in time and give young Dave a piece of advice, what would it be and why? Ooh, I like that we're mixing these up from straight up politics today. Um, you know, it's funny, I, I don't have a lot of regrets. Uh, I would say it's a little bit like Frank Sinatra, my way, regrets, I've got a few, but then again, too few to mention. I, I, that wasn't a great Sinatra, that was, that was all right. But, uh, the, the song My Way actually does kind of sum up how I view the world. Like you do the best you can and you can't really have made, you know, if you have major regrets, then things really went terrible. But look, that doesn't mean that I did everything right. Like I was very hard on myself in, in my 20s uh, related to my sexuality and I regret that. I regret beating myself up. Um, I regret some of my behavior at that time, like like that sort of thing. Like, and, and those scars, they, they don't just disappear. Like they can live with you for a long time. Um, so I guess being a little bit easier on myself, but beyond that, you know, sure, I have little things that I wish I, maybe I'd done this differently or that differently, but like, I think in the big sense of things, like as the world changed and as media changed and all that, I made the right decisions along the way. I said, I wanna be independent. I wanna build my own business. I wanna, you know, I wanna start fighting things and not just talking about things. And that's how locals appeared and like, all of those things. So I think I sort of roughly did that, right? So I'll answer, I guess the, the best piece of advice that I would give a younger self would be trust yourself, like trust your instincts. I think that's really it probably. Like, I think you have to trust your gut. A wise man once told me, my buddy John once told me, you know, you gotta trust your gut until it goes so horrifically awry that then you reevaluate. But you know, you intrinsically know stuff about yourself and about the world. And if you do really what you think is right, for the right reasons, then I don't think that'll lead you too far off the path. And if it does lead you off the path, then path, then you can think about it, right? But I think I think that would be it. So if anything, the advice would be, hey, be a little easier on yourself and, and trust yourself and see what happens. Uh, Philip says, does any of the quote unquote big news you have been referring to involve Clyde getting his own show? Clyde would like a show. Man, this dog, you know, we had Emma before Clyde. Some of you remember Emma. And Emma was a rescue from Hurricane Katrina. New Orleans gave birth during the hurricane. They found her in a box during the hurricane with the puppies. She was very sick for a long time, lived a wonderful life till about 16 years. Uh, we had to say goodbye to her right before lockdown. We weren't gonna get another dog for a while, but then I, I saw this um, 
TV report like a day before all the full lockdowns were hitting in LA and it was like, they're gonna put down all these dogs and I just ran there and I just grabbed him and, and we saved him. He's, he's living the good life right now. He's a little nuts, you know, he's part pit, part boxer and boxers have incredible crazy energy. And Clyde, I think I mentioned this once before, but I'll mention it again. Clyde, so he jumps up, we're, we're working on getting him uh, trained a little bit better because when people visit us and we have a lot of dinner parties, he always jumps on everybody and we're trying to get him to calm down. But one time uh, we had uh, Bob Saget over and his lovely wife, Kelly, and uh, Bob opened the door and I said, Bob, you know, watch out because Clyde does have a way of punching people in the nuts. And Bob kind of laughed at me. Next thing you know, Clyde jumps on him. Boxers, they're called boxers because they box because when they jump that they just start punching. Clyde punched Bob Saget right in the nuts. Down goes Danny Tanner. After a little tequila, everything was fine. Uh, Eileen says, I wish we could have a different health expert for the country instead of Fauci. Any ideas whom you would want? That's a great question. So first off, obviously it should not be pharma. It should be someone that perhaps didn't sell out to big pharma, someone that's not incentivized to fund you know, his colleagues' research product uh, projects and has done so many things wrong. I mean, look at Fauci and some of the AIDS stuff in the 80s. Someone who wouldn't have the gall, the gall and the ego to basically say, I am the science. If you challenge me, you challenge the very nature of science as if he's Palpatine, I am the Senate. Um, and of course, I would also want someone who values American values, right? Like personal liberty, individual choice, freedom, your capacity to run your life as you see fit. So now who that person would be, I don't know. I don't know that there's anyone in the sort of mainstream science community right now. I guess what you would want is someone that was a better communicator, maybe not even with the full scientific set of knowledge that Fauci has, because it's about communicating this stuff. That's why I'm always interested in the media side of things, because it's how we get communicated and what we hear through the filter that is that important. So if you had, if you had really incredible non-corrupt scientists working on vaccines, trying to tell us where the, the virus came from, all of that stuff, and then you had a head of that department, not to say he was completely, you know, knew nothing about science whatsoever, but like someone who could just communicate those ideas, who knew how to speak to the camera, who knew how to honestly answer questions, who knew how to say, I don't know when I don't know, or who knew, not, who knew how not to always kick the can down the road or not to give the vague answers that Fauci always gives about when it, things get to a tolerable level and it's like two years later, did we ever get there? Did we flatten the curve, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, I, I actually don't know who that is. There's probably some good people that could do that. I would love to hear your thoughts on that because I'd gladly have them on the show. Uh, ben says, I got my book plate 902 out of 5,000. That's right, I signed 5,000 book plates which we only put up for the locals community for the numbered book plates for Don't Burn This Country. Uh, we will be doing some signed stuff that will not be numbered uh, as we get closer to release in April. Uh, now on to my question, why does corporate media almost never fire analysts like Tubin? On the contrary, why do you think they can Cuomo? That's a good question too. So first off, why don't they fire people like Tubin? Um, I think it partly is because it's all a protection racket, right? Like you get these jobs, these are, you get paid a ton of money, you become famous, you have influence, you're an insider with all the politicians, everyone's sort of bullshitting together, right? So like if you're on CNN and you always, and you take like the main CNN people, it's like you take Tapper and you take Blitzer 
and you take Wolf. It's, I mean, this sounds like a demented reindeer group, but if you take, uh, you take Cuomo and you take Don Lemon and whatever, you take all of these people, it's like they're all Democrats, right? We all know that they're, they're liberals or lefties or Democrats, and they all have to play a game together that is probably a somewhat unspoken game of, oh, we are journalists, we're not activists. And then we have to kind of protect each other within that because if we don't, then somebody could really drop the boom and you know expose all of us. So I would guess a guy like Tubin, it's like it's up for anyone. I don't watch CNN. I, you know, I know a little bit of Tubin. Uh, fortunately, I've never zoomed with the guy, but you know, um, I would suspect that he's probably a perfectly fine broadcaster. Let's say, let's say he's a decent legal analyst. Um, I know that he was a student actually of Alan Dershowitz, and now he he's always attacking Alan Dershowitz. Alan Dershowitz, who, by the way, Alan Dershowitz usually has a pretty freaking good track record on what's going on legally in this country. But that aside, let's say he's a decent analyst, uh, Jeffrey Tubin. Well, you can't fire him because he's kind of in on it, as I just said. And uh, why did they fire Cuomo? I think that the Cuomo stuff was just too obvious. Like there's a lot of ways they can push things under the rug. There's a lot of stories they can ignore. For example, right now, CNN, I, I don't watch CNN, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but there are protests all over the world, anti-vaccine mandate protests. They're happening in Austria, they're happening in New Zealand, in Australia, they're happening in the UK, they're happening in France, they're happening all over South America, all over the world. Has, have they been on uh, CNN once? Have, has any video of that made it to CNN? Now that is a type of a conspiracy. They have said, we are not gonna show people here in America that other people are standing up because because they don't want people here to realize that they can stand up and you can stand up, right? Um, so I think what happened with Cuomo was it was so egregious, whatever it is that will be one day fully exposed that he did, whether it was coordination with his brother, whether it was suppressing stories, whatever all of that stuff is, it, it was too obvious. There obviously is a paper trail on it, probably I would guess him, well, we know some of this already, that we know he was emailing producers and how they were gonna cover things. And the irony, of course, is anyone with half a brain that had watched any of that coverage with him and his brother the entire time would know that this was all nonsense and theater and when he pretended he had COVID and came up from the basement and said he had been quarantining for days and then you know the next day it turned out that he, he had been found a week earlier uh, fighting with a biker in the Hamptons. It's like, man, you guys just lie about everything. So I think that one just got to critical mass and they had to do it. As for Tubin, I'll just say one other thing which is, it's like, first off, like don't masturbate on a work call. Like just as a general rule. Okay, guys, I think I've made that clear before. Um, that's just like a rule that you shouldn't do. Um, but why did they bring it back? It is a little odd and it has to do something with that inner circle thing. Because otherwise it's like, why wouldn't you just fire him and, and hire somebody else? Like it would just be like the easy thing to do. Like, ah, Jeffrey, nobody's perfect, but you jacked off on a, on a Zoom call. We've got to hire somebody else. And then do what you always are preaching. It's like, then do a diversity hire. Find me a black, lesbian, trans, whatever, and bring them in because there's gotta be a black, lesbian, trans, whatever legal analyst, and they deserve a job. Kathy says, uh, do you think the tide is turning against mandates? At least in America, it seems there have been some significant court wins already. Well, obviously I touched on this at the top of the show. I do think so. I think it's important that if you see the videos that I just referred to, which you're really only seeing on Twitter right now, these videos of mass protests, and not only just mass protests, really awful things happening in some places. You know, in Germany, you've got, you've got policemen 
literally grabbing old women off the street because they don't have their vax papers, like really terrible stuff. And as I've asked several times this week, what will you do? What will you do if the shit was really hitting the fan? What will you do in a time when bad things are happening? I asked myself that question. I think we all should ask ourselves that question. But to, to your point, there are some big wins in America right now. Do not underestimate that the Senate did something good. Not because they passed a law, because they stopped the ever encroachment of government. The Senate just did that, pretty good. The federal court just did that, that's pretty good. So we're getting some wins and every win, every win is, is something that, that can boost you. Not a COVID booster, but something that can make you go, oh, there's hope, there are others. There's something in the distance that we can get to. That's what I wanna focus on and that's what we're gonna keep talking about. Uh, Brad says, what are your thoughts on the FDA now saying 50 years isn't enough time to release the Pfizer COVID vax trial data? Now it's 75 years. So if you don't know about this, this is really bananas stuff. Pfizer is in essence saying that for 50 years, they're gonna hold all the records related to what happened in the trials of the COVID vaccines. I mean, this is really crazy. And now there's this, it might be 75 years and who knows what will happen then. I mean, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. We seem to be governed at this point by you know boards of pharmaceutical companies. That's a problem. We played the video a couple weeks ago where the 17 member, uh, I believe it was the Pfizer, no, it was the FDA panel, 17 members, where they're debating whether they should give shots to kids that are five to 11. Kids who, by the way, have something like a 99.9999% chance of surviving COVID in the first place, whether they should all have, uh, you know, get vaccinated. And literally, the doctor, says we don't know what the side effects are, we'll have to find out after we start doing injections. And it's like, we all just sit there and, and we go, oh, well, a random guy said it, who he sits on a board of a pharmaceutical company, he must be in it for the good reasons. He must really care about us. I think so much of this stuff is getting exposed day by day that the more hysterical they get, the more crazy they get, this nonsense with Omicron, which right now we're hearing is mostly uh, the least, um, the least intense of all of the variants, right? You'll get mild sickness. And either way, even if you got moderate sickness or moderate to heavy sickness, sorry guys, you don't control our lives anymore. You don't deserve our attention or our respect anymore. So that's really where we need to focus, that these pharmaceutical companies are in on it with media, they're in on it with the politicians, like this is not conspiracy stuff, this is basic stuff. Remember that video that we showed you a couple of weeks ago where all the, the daytime talk shows and so much of cable news is brought to you, brought to you by Pfizer. Like that's a problem. That is, is there a way we can pull that video up mid-show? We can't do that right now? All right, we'll, we'll play that in the next day or so. Um, but that's a problem when the, the pharmaceutical companies are sponsors on CNN and then CNN brings on pharmaceutical company people to tell you what to inject your kid with and you go, okay, dokey, I'd like more. Peter says, did you receive any threat letters with cut out newspaper letters about your cat remarks yesterday? It's a crazy world after all. Okay, I'm glad you brought this up. Look, I mentioned yesterday that I don't like cats. I just don't like cats. And I believe in individual choice. now. I also mentioned yesterday that cats are libertarian and a lot of people said, well, Dave, how could you not like cats if cats are libertarian because you're so libertarian minded? Because cats, they don't like rules. They're kind of solo. They just exist as the world is, right? 
I like dogs. I like, you know, the idea that a dog is, you come home, a dog jumps on you, maybe punches you in the nuts, a dog licks you, a dog cuddles up with you. I like attention. I like the, the warmth of a dog. Cats aren't thought to be warm. Cats are always trying to kill people. I mean, there's, you know, all the videos of on YouTube, cat, you know, jumps on a knife, stabs grandma in the eye. You know, there's, there's a lot with the cats, right? Like, now I get it, some people like cats. Oh, and by the way, I'm not saying that every single cat is bad. You watching this right now, I'm sure you have the best cat ever and, and they're just fantastic. And I will say there's one cat that I've met that I like, okay? Candace Owens has a cat. Her cat's name is Bear. So Bear is not a bear, Bear is a cat, but Bear acts like a dog. So it's a cat named Bear who acts like a dog. And this, this cat will come up to you and it'll cuddle with you, and uh, now I'm allergic to cats, so Bear has approached me several times and tries to you know, get up on my leg and, and do Bear's thing. I, I'll let her, and actually I'm not even sure if it's a him or her, come to think of it, but I'll let the he, her, or whatever they so choose as their gender pronouns to do what they want for a little bit, but then I have, I have a limit. Uh, but anyway, I, I don't wanna uh, besmirch the entire cat community. I understand some people like pussy, it's just not for me. All right, uh, Margo, Margo said, that was, yeah. Uh, Margo, wrap it up, Dave. <laughs> Margo says, do you think that by continually bringing attention to the ones who are deliberately misrepresenting facts, i.e. the mainstream media, we inadvertently give them more attention than they deserve, or is it because the majority of the population is being misled, our repetition is in hopes that people will finally hear our alarm clock? I wonder what Clyde thinks about all this. People do love Clyde. Um, this is a great question. You know, I, I address this often on the show, and I, this is, if there was one thing that I would say I, it's not quite struggle with for the show, but I really grapple with like the direction of the show when, when I look at the stories in the morning and when Michael and I are deciding what to cover. It's like every single day, I could just do a show where we show you clips of genuinely insane people on MSNBC, or we could just show you clips of people that I think once were sane on The View, like Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg, who have become shrieking harpies, who are nuts, who say crazy, crazy things. And we could do that, like we could do that, and, and by the way, this goes for CNN, or I could take every New York Times headline, like we could do that and just cover all of that all the time. And it's like, there's reason to do it, right? You're addressing that in your question. There's, there's reason to do it because these people do have audiences, right? Like there's a lot, the View, I think, is like the number one daytime talk show. Now, I don't know how many, maybe we can get some numbers on The View, like people watch The View. And let's say, let's say a, a broad swath of housewives in America are watching this. And let's say they're not online and they're not seeing what really is true. And they're hearing about this endless hysteria and everything else. It's like, that's kind of dangerous. And then their hus you know, the husband comes home and now the wife's been watching The View all day and watching MSNBC and hearing endlessly about terror and fear and how horrible things are and everything else and everyone's dying. And the husband comes home and let's say the husband is maybe apolitical or maybe watched The Rubin Report or something else. Now you live in a different world. And we know that people are having all sorts of problems with relationships and family members and everything else. I'm sure you guys have some version of that for yourself. Uh, an average of 2.3 million people watch The View every day. Like that's a chunk of people. And most of those people are insane. So what do we do about it? Like, so that, so I do, I grapple with that because on one hand, I want to expose the nonsense. On another hand, it's like MSNBC's ratings suck. CNN's ratings suck. I often point out that our clips, 
often get way more views with a team, you know, of just a couple people in here with me just saying what I think off the top of my head. Our clips often do way, way better than anything on CNN on any given day. So on one hand, it's like, ah, just ignore them and they'll go away. On the other hand, you want to expose it so that hopefully the people that are in the middle kind of bouncing back and forth, not really sure what is what, that they might come a little bit more in our direction. But I don't know, I, I love hearing your thoughts on this because I don't know exactly what the right thing is to do. And, uh, and you know, on another, just like on a personal note, like it's when I show you these Joy Reid clips, like they're so ridiculous that it's like fun for me and then I can make fun of her and whatever. But on another hand, like I'd much rather, I really do mean this, like I would much rather live in a sane, relatively like not bananas society and have less videos that we have to do. Like if, if every morning I woke up and I was like, boy, there's not much going on right now. The government seems to be kind of slim and trim and people aren't crazy and we got rid of the crazy woke lefties and everything's kind of humming along and boy, we're only gonna do a six minute show today. All right, like I'll find some other things to do. You know, I really will. We'll, we'll get, you guys got hobbies? What do you do? You ever do any? You know, you know hobbies, what do you do? What? PS, we will play more PS4, okay? If, uh, if the world cleans itself up. Jeff says, where do you see Kaylee McEnany in the future, big plans? So I interviewed Kaylee, we put up uh, parts one and two are on YouTube right now. The full is up at rubenreport.locals.com. She of course was the uh, previous press secretary before the wizard known as Jen Psaki. She was Donald Trump's press secretary, really did a bang up job. Like, and she's just a good person. We, we've become friendly. I, I know her a bit off camera as well. Just a nice, a nice, decent human being. She's one of the co-hosts on Outnumbered on Fox now. Um, I asked her a little bit about her future plans if you watch the full interview. Um, I don't know, she was an extremely effective communicator. Going back to the earlier question about what, who would you want to run NIH or CDC or FDA, like any of these organizations that have to communicate information to us, it's like she was the type of person that I would want doing that. It doesn't mean that Kaylee herself is like the perfect scientist for the job, but it's like if you have the right scientists and you hire the right people, then you need a communicator to get those things across. So I suspect, I mean, could I see a situation where, you know, DeSantis becomes president or dare I say even Orange Man does again and she jumps back into the fray? Like it was very obvious to me she enjoyed it. She enjoyed fighting the media. She enjoyed uh, trying to get as much truth across as possible. So uh, I think it's all possible. Uh, Angel says, would you ever do Tim Pool's Timcast IRL? I think it would be pretty awesome. Yeah, I absolutely would. You know, I think he tapes now out of West Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's where he is. Uh, he asked me to do it very early on. You know, I don't get to West Virginia that often. He doesn't do stuff uh, via Skype or uh, Zoom or over the pipes, let's say. Um, so I think one day when one of my travels maybe gets me to DC and I'm a little bit closer, or I get to Maryland or whatever it might be, but I'd, I'd be happy to do it. By the way, I know that uh, Tim was a bit critical of uh, the Rumble deal, the deal we did with locals and, and everything that subsequently happened. I think he got a bunch of things factually wrong. I liked him. Um, Dan Bongino put up a video that, that countered a bunch of the stuff that I think Tim just didn't have a full set of information when he was talking about some stuff. I'm not doing this to get into a flame war or anything, like we're roughly on the same side of things. Um, but I would be more than happy to do it. Like if, if he wants to bring me on to do a two hour show just discussing what's going on with locals and Rumble and how to build separate rails and why I think this was the right deal, I'm, I'm more than happy to do it. And I have no doubt that you Twitter people will now clip this and tell him, so that's just fine. 
Suzanne says, what is your favorite holiday movie? You know, I got this one a couple days ago. My go-to is always Christmas Vacation. I just think it's perfect. It's, it's like peak Chevy Chase. It's just great and fun and wonderful. I do count Die Hard as a Christmas movie. Uh, we always do Christmas Story uh, at least once on Christmas Day, often like two or three times, you know, on TNT. I don't have cable anymore, but for the years of my life that I had cable before we cut the cord, TNT would show 24 hours of Christmas story over and over and over and over. So we would just be kind of watching throughout the day. Um, I would say those are probably the big three on the, on the holiday side of things. Yeah, that, that would probably be it. Uh, guys, in closing, reminder, part two of my interview with Kaylee, who we just talked about, is up on YouTube right now. Full things up ad free at rubenreport.locals.com. Uh, tomorrow, we've got a Friday roundtable extravaganza with Matt Ridley, Elijah Schaefer, and Jake Paquette. And then on Monday, we, uh, we've got some big news. I'm pretty sure it's gonna be on Monday. There's a small chance it could be on Tuesday. We're pushing for Monday. And I feel good. I sense that you feel good about how I feel good. These guys feel good. There's goodness out there. And uh, it's a lovely time of year. I think good things are happening. Nice chatting with you. Have a good day. See you tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubenreport.locals.com.